But the proof is, is that Allah subhanahu uh, the Prophet said in a hadith uh, reported by Muslim in the book of Iman, he said that Iman consists of uh, so many odd, 60 odd branches or 70 odd branches. The highest is La ilaha Allah. The highest is to say La ilaha Allah. The least is to remove something harmful from the, from the road. And modesty, al haya is a shu'ba, a branch from the branches of faith. So here the Prophet said, the highest bra- the bra- that Iman has over 60 huh? or over 70 odd branches. The highest branch is to say La ilaha Allah. That's the statement. The lowest branch is to remove something harmful from the road. And that haya, modesty, which is in the heart, you feel modest, shy, so you don't you know, appear ungarbed, uh, un- unclothed, and so forth in front of the public, you know what I'm saying? You feel modest, so you don't do simpleness, you don't say something bad, you don't act weird in front of people. It's, you know, modesty. That's something in the heart, right? Is a branch from the branches of faith. So here the Prophet reflect, mentioned one branch, which was a statement, one branch was a, a belief, in the heart, one branch was an action. So therefore we say Iman is statement, belief, and action. Yes, brother. <coughs> yeah, some of the scholars have tried to deduce the other branches of faith. And, and there's one book by Imam al-Bayhaqi that you can get uh, the branches, uh, 70 branches of faith, you know, which is pretty good. He has evidences for it. But be careful by the footnotes, because the one who translated it was a Sufi, and in the footnotes he, he says, you know, some really outrageous uh, things. So, there used to be an old translation from Pakistan, which I think was better, but they retranslated from England, and uh, so that's something to assist you in that. Okay, as far as Iman uh, increasing and decreasing, uh, the proof is from Surah Tawbah, Surah 9, Ayah 124. Uh, this is just one proof, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, amanu." As far as those believe, it increased them in iman. So they, they had iman, but then the, 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 the then this resulted in, in the increase of their iman. The fact that the unbelievers were plotting to to attack them and so forth, they, it increased them in iman because they knew this is what Allah and the Prophet and promised them. And if you want the evidences regarding um, uh, the increasing and the decreasing of faith, if you open Sahih al-Bukhari, the first chapter, the book of iman, Imam al-Bukhari lists number of ayat in, the, in, the, in that which about the increase that you can pay. So, because we don't have time to go through them now, uh, at least you can refer back to that. Not the abridgment of Bukhari, the actual Sahih Bukhari. Okay, so I'd like, I'd like the brother of Shalatai, if you can draw me um, three circles, please. One inside the other. Um, <coughs> yes? Write the knee at their intention, right? So now it's not bidah. To say your intention audibly is, is, is a bidah. It's a bidah, it's an innovation. I mean, you're going to get no reward from it. You know what I'm saying? You might even be punished for it. No. There's no evidence for it to do after the Akama. So if somebody did habitually after the Akama, this would also be a bidah. 
you could be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you have knowledge and so forth, Allah. Uh, yes, because, I mean, if you did it once or something like that, it's fine. I mean, sometimes people do it because they didn't hear the adhan, you know, saying, or people don't call the adhan, they just call the aqamah, so they want to say it, you know, fine. But if it becomes something habitual, obviously it's an addition to religion. <coughs> there is some things uh, to say when the aqamah is, is, is um, uh, uh, being done, uh, and there's there's some narrations, but I believe the narrations that are actually come are always. You can check Kitab al-Athkar by Imam al-Nawi if you have a copy or somebody has a copy. Uh, <coughs> the, the, okay, so then the author mentions that faith is incomplete. The statement of faith, in other words, to say la ilaha Allah, is incomplete without action. And that there is no valid statement and deed without intention. And there is no valid statement, deed, or intention unless it is with agreement with the Sunnah. So what does that mean? Throughout the Qur'an, in 65 passages or so in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to Iman. But whenever Allah refers to Iman, He says, الَّذِينَ amanu wa amilu الصَّالِحَاتِ Those who have Iman and do righteous action. So, so just to claim Iman without righteous action is not sufficient. And that's why the author says over here that the statement of faith is incomplete without action. So, it's not complete. Your iman is an incomplete iman. There is iman there, if you don't have righteous action, but it's an incomplete man. But if you have no righteous action, I mean, you never did any righteous action, that, that, that means there's no iman. Okay? Um, let me try to illustrate to you this. We know that what is iman... Iman is built upon those six pillars the Prophet mentioned when he was asked by Jibreel. That's what is Iman. The belief in Allah, the angels, the books, the messengers, the last day in Qadr. Okay. Now, those six branches are from the branches of Iman. And they are the roots of Iman in the heart. Okay? And then the other 70 branches or so are like the branches of a tree. So among them is to, to say la ilaha wa. Among them is to be modest. Among them is to remove something harmful from the road. Among them is prayer. Among them is charity. Among them is being righteous to one's parents. Among them is um, to, to, to lower one's gaze. I mean, all these are branches of, of iman. Okay? Now, it's like a tree. Okay? So if we saw a big tree outside that had 70 branches, and then you pruned one branch of the tree, you took one branch off, it broke. Okay? Would you still call that a tree? You would still call it a tree. Okay. If you took two branches off, would you still call it a tree? You would still call it a tree. You could even conceivably take many branches off and it would still be called a tree. But every single time you take off a branch, it's no longer that beautiful tree. It becomes more and more marred. It becomes incomplete. If you cut it at the root, at this, what happens? Is it a tree? We call it a stump in English. So if you pull out one of the heart of belief in Allah or the angels or the books or the messengers or the last day or Qadr, then the tree is gone. Okay. Likewise, some of these branches are so big, so big trunks, that if you pull it out, the whole tree goes away also. Like Salah. The one who, who does not do Salah, you know, is, is sort of the point that he never prays, that is such a big branch that when you pull it, the whole tree is gone. Okay? Now, can you have a tree 
that never has any branches to it whatsoever? No, that's impossible. So if you, if a person had no good deeds whatsoever, not any single good deed, that's an impossible. So I hope now the illustration of what is Iman is and so forth that we understand. So the point is the author is saying is that the statement of Iman, in other words these beliefs that you have in the heart are incomplete without actions. That's the first point. The second point is that neither any statement you know, or belief or deed is going to be valid unless you have intention. I mean, for instance, if a Christian now comes in and says, you know, La ilaha Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Let's say he knows Arabic and he has written over here, La ilaha Allah, so he reads it. Or you write it out in English letters, right? Is that, is that, uh, does that any bring it to him any benefit? No. There used to be in the Washington, D.C. area a, uh, a, uh, a math teacher, I think, a math teacher, an English teacher. And, um, so he used to tell his students the first day of every, uh, every class. He used to teach in the university. The first day of the, of the class of the, uh, of the semester. And the students are all sitting there and he's passing out his syllabus and he says, okay, before we start, I want all of you to say, La. Okay, La. Ilaha. Ilaha. Illallah. Illallah. And he said, okay, you know, you've all now said the Shahada of Islam. <laughs> he thinks that by them saying this now, they're all going to uh, make it to paradise. So that's obviously because there's no intention, right? Even though they said it, right? It doesn't it doesn't bring them any benefit. So the second statement he says, I mean look at look how specific he was with his wording. He says that the statement of faith is incomplete with action, however, that statement and deed are not valid without intention. So it's different between incomplete and un- not valid. Not valid means it's not accepted, it's rejected completely. Incomplete means it's not perfect. And the proof is the, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ that you know, innamal a'malu the, the deeds are by, you know, their intentions. The, the first hadith in Sahih Bukhari. And every person will have what he's intended. And then he says that there is no statement, deed, or intention that is valid unless it is agreement in the sunnah. Because as the Prophet said in the hadith of Aisha reported in Sahih Muslim, that whoever does an action which is not in agreement with what we are doing, it will be rejected by Allah. So you have a statement, you have a deed, you have a belief, which is not in agreement with the sunnah, it's not valid. Allah won't reward you for that. That's going back to the bid'ah. No, because medicines are, are not necessarily religious matter. I mean, anything which the religion has a ruling to it, whether it's in a belief or a statement or a deed, if you do it and it's not in agreement with how the religion tells you to do it, then it's not accepted by Allah. But those things that the religion doesn't, you know, have a ruling for, like clothes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has just told us that there are certain clothes we cannot wear. The Prophet has informed them. Like silk for males, clothes that resemble the clothes of the unbelievers, or clothes that are see-through, clothes that are too tight, right? Clothes that are taken from the hides of animals that, you know, that... Um, for instance, uh, hides of animals like uh, those animals that attack other animals, predatory animals and so forth, like, you know, like a tiger or a lion. So, so huh? A crocodile skin. So, so, okay, so outside of this, everything else has been, been, been made. Now, nah, Pig also has been forbidden for us. 
yes, you know, pigskin also is forbidden. So, so, so here, I mean, these are all examples. There are many others, you know. I mean, different colors, like certain types of dyes or colors. So, anything else, though, is, is, is permissible. So, the religion doesn't have a specific telling us that we have to wear, like, gray or blue or, you know, or, or white. Or something. It says white is a better color, yes. I saw another hand up here. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Well, maybe Sean will address that topic. But I only have just a few, a few minutes left, so I want to try to. I just was trying to give an illustration, and not to get into the fiqh of clothes. You know. um, so, so the point is, is what is he saying? He's saying that you know your statements, you know your beliefs are incomplete without action. But your statements and your beliefs and your deeds are not valid without intention. And your statement and your deeds and your intentions and your beliefs are not valid without being in agreement with the Sunnah. Okay. Uh, he then comes to the next point, which is, we do not charge anyone from among the Muslims, Ahlul Qibla, means those people who face the Qibla, with unbelief, kufr, due to a sin. What, what does that mean? Well, that's why I had the brothers draw this three circles. So, let us put in the major circle, Islam, the big circle, Islam. And let us put in the middle circle, Iman. And let us put in the center circle, or the smallest circle, Islam. Okay. When Jibreel came and asked the Prophet those questions, he asked him what was Islam, what was Iman, what was Ihsan. At the end of the hadith, the Prophet said, This is Jibreel, he has come to teach you your religion. So our religion is Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. When you enter into the religion, you enter into Islam. Okay? So everybody who is a outside of the circle of Islam, you're what? A kafir. Inside the circle of Islam, you are a Muslim. Okay. Now, those Muslims, some of them have iman. They really believe, because Islam just means the outward submission. So some of them actually, besides outwardly submitting, they also inwardly believe. So they are a mu'min. And so therefore they are in the second circle. So... Who would remain in the in the out in the first circle would be then the hypocrites, munafiq, munafiq. Because the munafiq, he outwardly submits, he comes to prayer, he wages jihad, he gives the cap. He's a hypocrite, right? But inside he has no iman. Brothers understand that or do we need to repeat that? Yeah, the Prophet they used to go out and there's many ayat which refer to them. Because they were forced to. I mean, everybody has to go out to jihad. So they used to go out. And they used to stand up and pray. But as Allah says, they, they pray lazily. And they used to give charity. But they used to give charity. They used to follow it up with, you know, and men know it as they used to follow it up by, you know, reminding the person and, and you know, and, 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 you know, that they used to do it. So they do these out of things. You know? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salud, the leader of the Munafiq, when the Prophet was in Medina when he first came, he used to give his foot for Jumaz. Abdullah ibn Ubayyim Salud used to stand up after the Jum'ah Khutbah and encourage the people of Medina to enter into Islam. 
and he was the leader of the hip-hop community. Thank you for that. Allah revealed to them that. And also their actions, or their signs that, they, that, 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 you know, that show, that manifest the hypocrisy. So my point is, is that, look, if you're outside of the circle, right, how do you enter into the first circle? What makes you go into the first circle? The shahada. Those outside the first circle are kuffar, be they Christians, Jews, or whatever. Okay, you enter the shahada into the first circle, it means you're, that once you say the shahada, means that you are now, you're going to outwardly conform with Islam, right? You're going to pray, you're going to give zakah, you're going to fast, you're going to give hajj, you're going to make hajj. But how do I know if you are a Christian missionary who's just, you know, with the Muslims to cause some fitna, or you're a hypocrite just trying to spy upon the Muslims? Or because the Muslims are strong, you're forced to just, to, to outwardly, you know, conform. So if you have iman in your heart, you're in the second circle. And if you perfect your iman, so that when, and the perfection of the iman, the sign of it is that when you worship Allah, you worship Allah as if you see Him. For even though you do not see Him, He sees you, then you are a muhsin, you reach the third circle. So every Muslim is not necessarily a mu'min. But every mu'min is a Muslim. Every mu'min is not necessarily a muhsin, but every muhsin is a mu'min. It's the same thing like Nabi and Rasul. Yes. I saw something over Okay, I'm just addressing that. Good. We don't have time for questions. So. <laughs> So, so the point is, is that, you know, outside of the circle, the main circle is kufr, that inside is Islam, that inside is Iman, and then the final circle is Ihsan. Yeah, no. You're saying what? Well, they may be hypocrites. I mean, so, you know, Islam only means the outward submission. See, when you, when you mention Islam and Iman together in an ayah or a hadith, Islam refers to the outward submission and Iman refers to the, the, the inner deeds, okay? the, inner, the inner beliefs. Okay? But when it's mentioned by itself, like, like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Imran, Surah 3, okay? I guess the ayah is 18, that the religion with Allah is Islam. In the deen and Allah is Islam. Does that mean that the religion with Allah is just the five pillars and you don't have to believe in Allah and the angels? And in the last day, and, and, and it doesn't have ihsan, that's not part of the religion of Islam? No. Because here the ayah is just talking about Islam, so it includes everything inside there. But when it's mentioning it in, in all of them together in an ayah or a hadith, then each has a separate meaning. Okay? So, yeah. so here the author says that we do not take out any Muslim from the Ahlul Qibla, we do not charge them with unbelief due to a sin. So in other words, let's put a, an X in the Iman thing. Okay? So, when a person, a, a believer, does a major sin, right? A Muslim, okay? And he has Iman then, right? We don't immediately move him out to the outer circle. You see what I'm saying? By saying that, he has, he's now become a Kafir, so he moves outside of Islam by doing his major sin. Yes, by doing a major sin, his Iman has come down, has become very low because of the major sin, but he hasn't lost his Iman in totality, so now that he's outside of the Islam circle. So that's why the person who murders, who, who, you know, after we execute him for his murder, we bury him in the graveyard of the Muslim, and his, his family, if he had money, would inherit from his wife. 
And likewise, the person who is a zani, you know what I'm saying, and is stoned to death for his zina, likewise, you know what I'm saying, after he's stoned to death, he's washed and buried amongst the Muslims. Because he's still a, he's still a Muslim. He's still, he's not Allah. So. Now, and the author here, when he said to, due to a sin, I guess it's important for us to realize that here, the sin here means a sin which is not unbelief. Because unbelief is a sin, right? Shirk is a sin, right? Unbelief is a sin. So it means the sins which are not unbelief or shirk. Now, what happens when a person does one of those ten things which nullify Islam? Right? Are all the brothers, have they have come across the information which mentions like the ten nullifiers of Islam? The matters which nullify in Islam, which nullify your, your testimony of faith? Like worshipping others besides Allah, sorcery, making fun of the religion, wishing that, uh, wishing, uh, saying that there's something better than the guidance of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu okay, Anyway, if you go on the internet, you can, you can do a search under my name, you'll find uh, an article like that. And I think Jamal Zinza Rabo's Muslim Muslim books has that. And maybe the brothers here can photocopy something and pass it out. Uh, we don't have time to go through them all. But th- when you do one of the ten nullifiers of Islam, what happens to you? It takes you out of huh? the, the Islam circle. So if you're inside the Iman circle now, you might come out all the way to the outside, into Kufr. When you do a major sin, you only come into... No, you're still within inside the, the religion. You haven't come all the way out. Is it, is it clear for the brothers? Now, then the author, we, we still have, uh, we have 20 minutes and we have four large paragraphs. So we have to do this five minutes apiece. Uh, then the author mentions that uh, the, the shuhada, the martyrs, are alive with their Lord being sustained. And the proof is Surah Al-Imran, Surah 3, Ayah 169. And the, uh, the, the explanation of how they are alive is that their souls are placed in green birds which, which fly in paradise, drinking from its rivers, eating from its fruit. So that is where the martyrs are. So they are still alive, they're not dead. That's why you can say, you can say a person has been killed, right? but you should say that he has died. He's just killed, you know what I'm saying? And they will remain in this eternal bliss until the day when humanity will be resurrected and when the souls of those destined are for, uh, you know, so until, until, so they're in this bliss, their soul, you know, is moving around the paradise in this green bird, eating and drinking and so forth. Then when the day of judgment, when the horn goes, their souls come back into their bodies and they're resurrected like the rest of, like the rest of the, uh, of, 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 um, uh, of humanity. Okay. Now, the the, 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 the the wicked or the unbelievers, those who are destined for eternal sorrow, their souls are tormented until the day of judgment. So there's three things, there's three there's three abodes. So the abode, this abode, okay? In this abode, when you feel pleasure or you feel pain, you feel it first in your body and then it affects your soul. Something good happens to you, you know what I'm saying? You, you feel the pleasure in your body and then you have a good feeling happens. You feel it inside good about it, you know what I'm saying? Likewise, pain, you know what I'm saying? You know, pain, if you first feel the body, then it affects your soul. In the barzakh, the, the abode between this world and the next world, um, you feel it first on your soul, and then sometimes it affects your body. So the souls are tormented of, of the wicked and the unbelievers. And, and the souls of the righteous are, are feeling good. And sometimes their body actually feels the pleasure, and sometimes their body might actually feel the pain. Pain. In the hereafter, in paradise and hell, 
you feel the body and the soul feel it at the same time. That's why the pleasure is the most intense and the pain is the most intense. Okay? So here the author is saying that the martyrs and those who are destined to go to paradise, their souls are in delight until the day of judgment. And those who are wicked and those who are destined to go to hell, their souls are in misery until the day of judgment. This is about the Baruzah. And there are many hadith which uh, point to it. Um, and then, I mean, one for instance, for the, for the people of the hellfire, uh, one good example is Surah 40, Ayah 46. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, refers to the, uh, uh, the followers of Pharaoh, uh, saying that, النار يعرضون uh, the, 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 the fire is um, presented to them, okay, uh, in the morning and in the evening. And then on the day of judgment they are told to enter into the hellfire. So the fire is presented to them at morning and at evening, right? So that's obviously a fire which is not the fire of the hellfire. He's in the ISS and on the day of judgment they'll be told to enter into the most severe part of the hellfire. And that's Surah 4, Ayah 40, uh, Surah 40, Ayah 47. So, and then the author, since he's talking about the souls, okay, he then mentions that, that the believers will be tried and questioned in their graves. And this refers to what happens that everybody, when they, when they die, uh, the two angels come and question you regarding uh, who did you worship, uh, what uh, was your religion, and who, uh, did you, what did you say about this man, meaning the Prophet Muhammad The believer will say, Allah is my Lord. Uh, Islam is my religion, the Prophet Muhammad is my prophet. The unbeliever or the, the hypocrite will say, the one who's in doubt says, I don't know, I heard the people say something, so I said it. And then the author quoted this ayah, which shows that the believers will say the right things, this ayah which is from Surah 14, Surah Ibrahim, ayah 27. Because Allah says that he will confirm, huh? 14, 14. He will confirm those who believe with a firm word in this world and hereafter. So in this world and in the hereafter. Okay? So, 47. No, 27, sorry, 27. 14, 27. One more tape? Okay, so then since he mentioned the angels, because he talked about the questioning of the grave, so it's now good for him to talk about the angels, right? He's moving in sequence here, in logical progression. And so he says that the, over the servants, uh, you have uh, you know, angels who are uh, watching you and they're writing your deeds. And, and he then says that even though they're writing your deeds, do not think that any of this is hidden from Allah. And that also the angel of death seizes the souls at the time of death by the permission of Allah. And the, ev- the evidences are very many. Um, let me give just a couple. As far uh, as the, uh, the angels writing uh, and guarding over you, you have from Surah Infitar, which is another one of these Surahs, 80-something, Ayahs 10 and 12, 82, Ayahs 10 and 12. And likewise, uh, you find uh, in Surah Qaf, Surah 50, Ayah 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ma min qawlin. He does not say anything except there is somebody watching him you know, uh, with 
Likewise, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not unaware of this, you find the proof in Surah 3, Ayah 5, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nothing is hidden from Allah in the heavens or in the earth. And that the angel of death takes your soul to the time of death. You find this from Surah Sajda, Surah 32, Ayah 11. Okay, so after he's talked about the angels now, he comes and he talks about the best of humanity. So he says that the best of humanity uh, is uh, the best of generations of humanity are those that saw and believed in the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu and then those who followed them. This is the Hadith of Bukhari. The best of them, the best of the, the, those who saw and believed in the Prophet, the best of the companions are those four rightly guided Qulafba who followed the Prophet. Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. They are in that order in terms of their best. The best of this ummah after the Prophet is whom? Abu Bakr. Then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. And, and, and the best of the Sahaba as a group are those who fought in the Battle of Badr. And then those who gave bay'ah to the Prophet under the tree. Bay'ah to Rudwan.
followed the Prophet Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. They are in that order in terms of their best. The best of this Ummah after Prophet is whom? Abu Bakr. Then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. And, and, and the best of the Sahaba as a group are those who fought in the Battle of Badr. And then those who gave bay'ah to the Prophet ﷺ under the tree, bay'ah to Rudwar. And then after those, those who became Muslims before the conquest of Mecca. And then the rest of the Sahaba in that order. So the first is those who, the battle of Badr, and then those who, who, who gave the bay'ah to Rudwar, the bay'ah to the Prophet ﷺ, when he was prevented from entering Mecca at Hudaybiyah. And then those who became Muslims before the conquest of Mecca, and then the rest of the Sahaba. But of those in the battle of Badr, the best of them are the, the four Khulafa, Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. And as a group, the Muhajirun are better than the Ansar. Yes, the ten, the ten come after the four. So the, the remaining six are part of the ten. So after the four come the remaining of the six. Zubair, and Sa'id, and Sa'id, and Talha, and Abu Ubaid. Uh, <coughs> so those are... Um, the remaining um, and it's very important for us to know about the Sahaba their lives and so forth you know. uh, so I, I would suggest to other brothers you know, if you look in Sahih Bukhari Sahih Muslim there's a book about the you'll find the virtues of the Prophet's companions to read that you know what I'm saying and know about their virtues and their merits to love them you know. so then he says we do not mention any of the Prophet's companions but in the best manner and this is based upon the Prophet Sallallahu Hadith uh, where the Prophet Sallallahu has uh, forbade us to insult his prophet companions and said that if anyone you was to give as the amount of Uhud in gold it would not be equivalent to a handful given in food of one of them or even a half a handful and this hadith is in Bukhari so imagine if you were to give Mount Uhud the size of Mount Uhud in Medina in gold it would not equal the handful or half a handful of one of the companions in food the prophet said do not insult that's, I mean, that's the difference between them is just two, I mean, large. And that's why the, the worst Muslims are the Shia, who insult and, and, and speak ill about the Prophet's companions. So then the author says, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, we refrain from discussing what befell them from argument. Because after the Prophet's death, some fitnas occurred between the Prophet's companions. They led them to argue and led them to even fight with each other. So we refrain from discussing these matters. We don't get into them. And they are the most deserving of people for us to seek excuses for them and to think well about their motivations. So we don't say they were like thinking they were power hungry or they were looking for money and so forth. But rather they're the best of people. So we think we have good thoughts that, as to why these things happen to them. And we, we, they're most deserving for us to seek excuses for them and so forth. In the final paragraph, just for the, I think we take, we have 10 minutes, so we can get questions. No, men around the message by Khalid, uh, Muhammad Khalid. No, I wouldn't read that book. Khalid Muhammad Khalid is not a good author to read. There is a book, um, uh, which Men of Medina and Women of Medina comes from Ibn Sa'ad, so that's good. Okay. Yeah. That's a classical book, because somebody's translated, that's good. But also, if you write uh, IIASA, there's an organization called IIASA, um, uh, the Institute for Islamic. Um, Institute for Islamic and Arabic Sciences in America. No, no, that's, that's what it stands for. The Institute for Islamic 
and Arabic scientists in America. It's just a branch of, uh, of Imam Muhammad Saud University in Riyadh. We have a branch here in the United States, in Washington, D.C. So they've translated um, a, a book, like three parts, it was called Portraits of the Prophet's Companions. Portraits of the Prophet's Companions. If you do a search on the web, you'll find their website. So send them an email, and they'll send you the book, you know, to the center, or that you want copies of that book. You know, and then you can distribute it. So this is a nice book. Uh, I mean, originally it's a children's book, but it's a good book for people to read because there's so little information about the Prophet's companions in English. And also, since it's originally a children's book in Arabic, it's good to read to children so they know something about the Prophet's companions, their lives, and, and who these people were. And then the, the author uh, mentions that it's required to show obedience to be given to the leaders of the Muslim among those in charge of their affair and the scholars. The leaders of the Muslims are two groups. The rulers and the scholars. The rulers and the scholars. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us uh, to show obedience to them. And the proof is Surah 4, Ayah 59. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, O you who believe, Allah, obey Allah, wa ati'ur rasul, and obey the messenger, wa Emri minkum and those in charge of you. But notice the Arabic. Allah says, O you who believe, obey Allah. And obey the messenger. And then he says, and those in charge of the prophet. He doesn't use the word obey before that. So by Allah saying obey Allah, it means that the obedience to Allah is unconditional. Whenever Allah gives you something, you must obey him. And then he says, obey the messenger. It shows that the obedience is unconditional to the messenger's life. Whatever he gives you, you must obey him. And those in charge of you, he doesn't use the, the verb, he doesn't repeat the verb. Which means that their obedience is conditional. What is the condition to obey a, a ruler or a scholar? That in what he gives you is in accordance with the obedience of Allah. So when the ruler commands something and it's in accordance with Allah's rules, or the Sunnah of the Prophet you must obey him. And when the scholar gives you a fatwa, in accordance with the Book of Allah, the Sunnah of the Prophet you must obey him. Yes, brother. Now, now, right. So, in the sense that if, if the ruler is impious, um, uh, if the ruler is impious, or if the ruler is tyrannical, right, he is still to be obeyed, you know what I'm saying, in the sense that we do not revolt against him. We obey him, however, not in everything. We don't obey him in his tyranny, okay? I mean, for instance, let's say there's a tyrant Muslim ruler. And he says, okay, I want, you know, he, you, let's say you all are the, the police force, okay? And so the tyrant ruler says, okay, I want each one of you all now to go to every single home and take one gold dinar of every single household for every single member in that. Okay, this is tyranny, right? Taking people's wealth where they're not supposed to. Do you obey him in this? No. But now the same tyrannical ruler who does this, right, says we're going to be waging jihad in the path of the law against against some enemy. You obey him. Because this is the being of law. Now when the ruler becomes an apostate, when the ruler becomes an apostate, he becomes an unbeliever, right? Then there's no obedience uh, no, no obedience to him whatsoever when the ruler is opposed. When the ruler becomes an apostate, there's no obedience to him whatsoever. Okay, question for the sisters. Let's try again.
Uh, can you please tell us about Samson and Deliah and their Arabic names? Uh, Samson is more like English. Well, Samson and Deliah, I mean, are uh, Samson, I think they call it in Arabic. Um, but it's not, um, uh, there's no evidence for this, these, these two characters in the Quran and the Sunnah. The Prophet told us about the, what the people of the book relate, that we can, we can relate what they say, but we cannot either believe it or disbelieve it. Because we don't know, do these two people actually existed or not? I don't know of anything in the, in the Sunnah. Uh, that um, uh, confirms the existence of Samson or uh, Deliah. Um, uh, is the theory that Samson destroyed Palestine uh, for it proven by scientists that its walls did fall down? I cannot find the Quran. No, it's, it's for it's not for Samson. I believe it's for um, um, Joshua. They said the walls of the walls of Jericho. He you know blew the trumpet and caused it to collapse and so forth. That's what the, that, that was one of his miracles, okay? That, you know, that he went around, the prophet uh, Joshua went around the, the city of Jericho, which had unbelievers, and blew the trumpet, and the walls collapsed, and then they were able to uh, enter it. But, uh, again, I mean, Joshua is, or Yeshua is a prophet as confirmed in the Sunnah of the Prophet. Uh, whether he actually did this or not, I know of no hadith. And there, I mean, I just don't know of a hadith uh, that, that, uh, that confirms this incident. Uh, that people will cause the wall of a city to collapse, you know what I'm saying, by, by their righteousness. This is affirmed in the Sunnah when the Muslims conquer, reconquer Constantinople or Istanbul, again when it falls back in the hands of day, before the day of Jesus, in the hands of the unbelievers. They will conquer it by takbir and tahlil, by saying, Allahu Akbar, na Allah, the walls will fall and they will enter into it. So, uh, you said the jinns do not have prophets. Can you please explain to us what they had? They had warners. Meaning they did not have prophets from themselves. A, no jinn was selected to be a prophet, but a jinn would be selected by Allah to be a warner to his people, to the fellow jinns. Which of the Ten Commandments are not part of the seven major sins? Well, I have to, uh, you know, look at the Ten Commandments. It's been a long time since uh, <laughs> I, I was, you know, told to memorize that thing. I was a small boy, you know, saying so. But um, I mean, we shouldn't worry about the Ten Commandments. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has given us, you know, the Quran and the Sunnah, you know what I'm saying, and the, and the, and has told us, and, and, and all the commandments in the in, in the Ten Commandments, you find them in the Quran, you know, elsewhere in a better form, in a more a stronger form, in a more beautiful form uh, than that. Right, so we have just two minutes. We need to hurry up. And sit. So, so the point about the rulers, brother, huh? We're talking about the Muslim ruler, right? Okay, right. So we have to obey those in charge of of our affairs. Okay, if it's a Muslim ruler, right? And when he obeys, and, and if, if he's a Muslim scholar, and when he gives a, a fatwa in agreement to the Quran and Sunnah. And authority is, you know, authority is degrees, right? Authority is degrees. There are, I mean, the authority, the greatest authority is the imam of the state, right? And, and then there's a lesser authority, those who he puts in charge of provinces and so forth. There's the authority over the army. There's the authority over a masjid. There's the authority over a school. There's the authority of the, of the, of the, of the person in his own household, right? But notice how the Prophet ﷺ described the people of authority. He described them as a ra'i, a shepherd. So it's one thing in the shepherd. You don't find the shepherd ever taking his flock and beating on them, you know what I'm saying? But rather he gently guides his flock away from dangers and guides it to what is his benefit. And then the author uh, says, Rahmatullah um, uh, He says, Ibn Abi Zayd al-Khairawani says, It is likewise for us to require for us to follow the righteous predecessors, the Salaf al-Salih, follow their footsteps, and seek forgiveness for them. Okay. 
the proof is in that uh, is that uh, the Prophet Sallallahu has said to follow uh, the, the sage group right in the hadith is those who are upon what I'm upon and my companions the sage group are those who are upon what my upon and my companions that's why we have to follow the righteous setup and likewise Allah in, in Surah 4 and Surah Nisa I believe the ayah is 169 no um Maybe This one, I think it's going to be 169. Uh, in, in Surah 4, Ayah 169. Oh, it's not even 169. Anyway, we will send him in the direction huh, that he has chosen. We will burn him in hell, and what an evil uh, uh, outcome that is, or an evil abode. Okay. So Allah subhanahu wa taala didn't just say he who splits off from the messenger. He who splits off from the messenger after guidance has come to him, right, and then follows other than the believer's way. So the prophet, so Allah subhanahu wa taala mentioned two things: splits off from the prophet and follows other than the believer's way. What is the believer's way? It's the way of Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. They were the first believers. And he chooses another path, he, Allah will let him take that path and then burn him in hell. Okay. And likewise, when the Prophet was asked who was the saved group, when he informed that his ummah was to divide into 73 groups, he said, What? They are those who are upon what he is upon and his companions. So that's why the author said, We follow the way, it is required to follow the way of our righteous predecessor. The first three generations, who the author mentioned in the previous paragraph, as they're the best of humanity. And also it's required not just to uh, follow their path, but it's also required uh, to seek forgiveness uh, for them. Uh, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Hashr, um, Surah Al-Hashr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has says that those who come after them, يَقُولُونَ They say, uh, Our Lord forgive us وَلِإِخْوَانِنَا And to our brothers who preceded us in, in, uh, in faith. Surah 59, Ayah 10. Surah 59, Ayah 10. So those who came after them, they say, Oh Allah, forgive us and those who preceded us in faith. That's why the, the author said we have to follow our righteous presence and we also seek forgiveness for it. That's what it is. 159, Surah 400, Ayah 115. When they said they split off from the believer's way, that's Surah 415. Zephoth, that is it. Huh? Not 115, 115. And then finally, the author mentions this last point, and let me just, I know we're over time, but just give me two minutes to try and try. Uh, he said that it is required to give up argumentation in the religion, and all which has been innovated. It is required to give up argumentation in the religion. In our religion, it's not permittable for us to argue. We are the people who, Allah says, we hear and we obey. We don't argue and dispute in the religion. 
and we give up everything which is innovative. So you know, when when the brothers you find yourselves arguing, you know, and debating, disputing, this is this is a very uh, bad sign. This is a sign that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has not, you know, blessed you uh, with um, that uh, with with um, with goodness. That's why the Prophet says that no people have become misguided after guidance that they were upon, except they were given argumentation. No people have gone misguided after they were upon guidance, except that Allah gives them argumentation. That's why you find people who are constantly arguing stuff like that, soon they are going to misguide them. So, the point is, is not to argue. If you stick to that which is clear, and that which is in dispute, you leave it. Say, okay, this is something in dispute. We don't have the knowledge to address now. We don't have the knowledge to understand that. Uh, let us leave this matter to some other time. We, we, we're certain about these things. These are the pillars of our faith. Tawheed and Salah and Zakat and these, you know, that's, that's sufficient. And that which we don't know, I mean, we ask Allah to either bring us something to explain it and clarify it for us, or, you know, I mean, Allah will hold us responsible if we're, if we're unaware of it. Why? Why should we delve into that which we do not know? And likewise, they leave all that which is innovative, and we talked about uh, innovation, um, and his condemnation. And then finally the author uh, said, and may Allah bless and preserve our Sayyid, Sayyid, the Prophet said that he was a Sayyid, he was the best of humanity, Muhammad Sallallahu and his family, his wives, and his descendants. And, and, um, and, and we should know that, you know, saying, invoking Salah from the Prophet Sallallahu is one of the deeds which Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala loves, and he has commanded in his book, and uh, we should do it as much as possible. You know, it brings Whenever you invoke Allah's Salah upon the Prophet Allah does Salah upon you ten times. Whenever you say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, okay, what happens? Allah ten times. And, and, and to say Allahumma salli ala Muhammad means uh, may Allah mention and praise the Prophet amongst the angels. So you do this once, you ask Allah to praise the Prophet before the angels, Allah will then praise you before his angels ten times. How great is that reward? And especially on Fridays, it's encouraged. And there are many hadith about the subject. I encourage my brothers to read those hadith as well. So I, I, I thank my brothers and sisters for being very patient with me the last two days. Uh, I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward each and every one of you with the best uh, for being patient and, and studying this material. We went through it very quickly, but this is the nature of these short courses. Um, so I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I ask you to forgive me. And also, I ask you to forgive me for my shortcomings in presenting this course. And... Um, the best thing to do is, you know, to take your notes and, and when the tapes are provided for the brothers, to listen to the tapes and to take the notes and to review the material and learn it and memorize it and then teach your other brothers and sisters. And where, where there's shortcomings in, in the explanation, there are other books I've explained. You can find Explanation of Aqidah, Wasafi, and other books uh, in Aqidah. You can find those tapes. You can, if you listen to them, they can sort of fill in the gaps and other good books that are out there. أقول قولي هذا والصفوة لي ولكم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك شدوا النا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وتوب إليك وجزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم كاف هيا عين صاد ذكر
ذكر رحمة ربك عبده زكريا إذ نادى ربه نداء خفيا قال رب إني وهن العظم مني قال رب إني وهن العظم مني واشتعل الرأس شيبا ولم أكن بدعائك رب شقيا وإني خفت الموالي من ورائي وكانت امرأتي عاقرا فهب لي من لدنك وليا يرثني ويرث من آل يعقوب واجعله رب رضيا يا زكريا إنا نبشرك بغلام اسمه يحيى لم نجعل له من قبل سميا قال رب أنا يكون لي غلام وكانت امرأتي عاقرا وقد بلغت من الكبر عتيا قال كذلك قال ربك وعلي هين وقد خلقتك من قبل ولم تك شيئا قال رب اجعل لي آية قال آيتك ألا تكلم الناس ثلاث ليال سويا فخرج على قومه من المحراب فأوحى إليهم من سبحوا بكرة وعشيا يا يحيى خذ الكتاب بقوة وآتيناه الحكم صبيا وحنانا من لدنا وزكاة وكان تقيا وبرا بوالديه ولم يكن جبارا عصيا وسلام عليه يوم ولد ويوم يموت ويوم يبعث حيا واذكر في الكتاب مريم إذ انتبذت من أهلها مكانا شرقيا فاتخذت من دونهم حجابا فأرسلنا إليها روحنا فتمثل لا بشرا سويا قالت إني أعوذ بالرحمن منك إن كنت تقيا قال إنما أنا رسول ربك لأهب لك غلاما زكيا قالت أنا يكون لي غلام ولم يمسسني بشر ولم أك بغيا قال كذلك قال ربك هو علي هين ولنجعله آية للناس ورحمة منا ورحمة منا وكان أمرا مقضيا فحملت فانتبذت به مكانا قصيا فجاءها المخاض إلى جذع النخلة قالت يا ليتني مت قبل هذا وكنت نسيا منسيا فناداها من تحتها ألا تحزني قد جعل ربك تحتك سريا 
وهزي إليك بجذع النخلة تساقط عليك رطبا جنيا فكلي واشربي وقري عينا فإما ترين من البشر أحدا فقولي إني نذرت للرحمن صوما فلن أكلم اليوم إنسيا فأتت به قومها تحمله قالوا يا مريم لقد جئت شيئا فريا يا أخت هارون ما كان أبوك امرأسوا وما كانت أمك بغيا فأشارت إليه قالوا كيف نكلم من كان في المهد صبيا قال إني عبد الله آتاني الكتاب وجعلني نبيا وجعلني مباركا أينما كنت وأوصاني بالصلاة والزكاة ما دمت حيا وبرا بوالدتي ولم يجعلني جبارا شقيا والسلام علي يوم ولدت ويوم أموت ويوم أبعث حيا ذلك عيسى بن مريم قول الحق الذي فيه يمترون ما كان لله أن يتخذ من ولد سبحانه سبحانه إذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون وإن الله ربي وربكم فاعبدوه هذا صراط مستقيم فاختلف الأحزاب من بينهم فويل للذين كفروا من مشهد يوم عظيم أسمع بهم وأبصر يوم يأتوننا لكن الظالمون اليوم في ضلال أسمع بهم وأبصر يوم يأتوننا لكن الظالمون اليوم في ضلال مبين وأنذرهم يوم الحسرة إذ قضي الأمر وهم في غفلة وهم لا يؤمنون وأنذرهم يوم الحسرة إذ قضي الأمر وهم في غفلة وهم لا يؤمنون إنا نحن نرث الأرض ومن عليها وإلينا يرجعون واذكر في الكتاب إبراهيم إنه كان صديقا نبيا إذ قال لأبيه يا أبت لم تعبد ما لا يسمع ولا يبصر ولا يغني عنك شيئا يا أبت إني قد جاءني من العلم ما لم يأتك فاتبعني أهدك صراطا سويا يا أبت لا تعبد الشيطان إن الشيطان كان للرحمن عصيا يا أبت إني أخاف أن يمسك عذاب من الرحمن فتكون للشيطان وليا قال أراغب أنت عن آلهتي يا إبراهيم لئن لم تنته لأرجمنك واهجرني مليا 
قال سلام عليك سأستغفر لك ربي إنه كان بي حفيا وأعتزلكم وما تدعون من دون الله وأدعو ربي عسى ألا أكون بدعاء ربي شقيا فلما اعتزلهم وما يعبدون من دون الله وهبنا له إسحاق ويعقوب وكلا جعلنا نبيا ووهبنا لهم من رحمتنا وجعلنا لهم لسان صدق عليا واذكر في الكتاب موسى إنه كان مخلصا وكان رسولا نبيا وناديناه من جانب الطور الأيمن وقربناه نجيا ووهبنا له من رحمتنا أخاه هارون نبيا واذكر في الكتاب إسماعيل إنه كان صادق الوعد وكان رسولا نبيا وكان يأمر أهله بالصلاة والزكاة وكان عند ربه مرضيا واذكر في الكتاب إدريس إنه كان صديقا نبيا ورفعناه مكانا عليا أولئك الذين أنعم الله عليهم من النبيين من ذرية آدم وممن حملنا مع نوح ومن ذرية إبراهيم وإسرائيل وممن هدينا واجتبينا وممن هدينا واجتبينا إذا تتلى عليهم آيات الرحمن خروا سجدا وبكيا فخلف من بعدهم خلف نضعوا الصلاة واتبعوا الشهوات فسوف يلقون غيا فسوف يلقون غيا إلا من تاب وآمن وعمل صالحا فأولئك يدخلون الجنة ولا يظلمون شيئا جنات عدن التي وعد الرحمن عباده بالغيب جنات عدن التي وعد الرحمن عباده بالغيب إنه كان وعده مأتيا 